Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. And today we're going to talk about season six of Buffy, uh, the episode Villains, and season three of Angel, A New World. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm, or just I, the old world. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty, I feel like I don't have that much to say about villains, but I'm really excited to talk about it. So uh, I'm excited to get into it. But you should tell me how your day was today. Uh, We're recording a little later than normal, so you've done more than wake up and eat breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) But that's actually a good thing, because as I was telling you, it turned out to be really great timing to push it back today because we are recording this. It will air tomorrow, and today, Sunday, is the day that the women won the World Cup again. Mm -hmm. Fourth time, most ever. (laughs) And it was a great game. Like, you know, once they scored a goal, it was like... Pretty much you could tell, like, I think they took the wind out of the Netherlands sails and then they just, like, really got their momentum. But, like, the first half was scoreless and it was, like, very, like, white-knuckled. Um, <laughs> it was just a really fun game to watch, you know, even at 8 a.m. <laughs> so Yeah. I was reminded, so I always think about this when I watch the Women's World Cup because when I moved here in 2010, mm-hmm. it was also a World Cup year, but it was a men's World Cup year. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't working, so... I just thought, like, the games came on at, like, normal time. Except we didn't really watch the games because we didn't have cable, so they weren't streaming on... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, But when I did watch the games, which would be, like, on weekends, we would go to the bar at, like, 9 a.m. And I I remember having a breakfast of, like, a bagel and a beer, which is, like... (laughs) just so carb heavy now I'm just like oh my god and I was like I briefly considered I was like like last night I was like I could do that I could go to a bar at like 8 a.m and I was just like you know what I cannot (laughs) (laughs) it's like I can wake up and sit on my couch and have a cup of tea and some eggs (laughs) yeah that's what I did but it was it was still really fun to watch and um obviously exciting that they won and you know now they just need to get paid so yeah yeah um but how about you? How have you been? Uh, good. We were in, visiting my brother uh, this over the week, long weekend, so we just got back. Um, probably got home at like one this afternoon. Um, so it was nice and a fun time. My brother, my sister in law, my nephew. Mostly, we just ate a lot. Last night we got frozen custard, and I, it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like a lot of places, I don't know if I've just had a lot of bad custard or if I've mostly just had soft serve, but like, I am not a fan of soft serve, but soft ice, soft, like frozen custard, like really all these varieties of, of iced cream or frozen cream are, are slightly different, but like the frozen custard was super, super good. Anyway. You so know why that frozen was, custard uh, is super good? Because it's full of eggs. Yes. It's richer. <laughs> yeah, and that's why so soft serve good. sometimes is terrible because they take it's shortcuts. Just icy. And it's, it's like so icy. It's like less actual yeah. ice cream and more like things that keep it It's just like solid water and yeah. melting, right? Ugh. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Well, it was really hot outside and so it felt really good, but also it was just delicious. I mean, we ate a lot of good stuff, but that was def- that was one of the highlights for sure. But yeah, it was a good time. It was, it's always very relaxing to go there. Um, I do feel bad because I think uh, my sister-in-law would prefer to like do a little bit more activity, but it was fun. We just, you know, we played with my nephew. We like built little um, fortresses out of like blocks and played some But like games. sometimes we when you travel, games and, you don't want yeah. to like go, 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 go. 
Yeah, yeah. And honestly, it is, I, I feel like maybe I mentioned this before, but just I ended up with unexpectedly traveling several times this summer that I wasn't necessarily planning on. So like I ended up, I just saw my brother two weeks ago. I just saw them two weeks ago. Uh, and then we were there and then we're going to see them in like a couple more weeks. So it's like, I guess I just mean to say like, we've already been traveling and seeing each other a lot. So even more, it was kind of nice to like, we should just hang out, you know? Yeah. Cause totally we're doing things on all the other trips. So yeah. Anyway, but it was a good time. Um, yeah. Um, I'm excited to be back home too, though. You know, I don't like leaving my little cat behind she's here already alex already had a letter in the room because she's <laughs> meowing pathetically outside the door she's just sitting on the bed next to me she's just a buffy fan it's fine <laughs> she loves listening to the podcast <laughs> anyway uh, right. she got really good reports from the cat sitter so oh, it's not a good. surprise but they seem to like her oh so you guys didn't leave her alone for like four days on her own no 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 no, oh. no. somebody somebody well, came i mean i assume you could like mm, four days would be a stretch but yeah. Um, No, she got a lot of attention. Okay, well, speaking of Buffy. Speaking of Buffy. Speaking of Buffy. (laughs) Okay, Ripley, are you ready to get into it? Uh, I think so. (laughs) I'm going to try to make this a quick wrap-up, because I think just given what happened in the last episode, maybe we're going to have a lot to say. (laughs) Yeah. I see. I feel like I don't have that much to say, but I think ultimately I will. Also, side note, I just said, hey, Ripley, are you ready to get into it? And then you answered (laughs) Well, I was joking because I said she's right here and she likes I didn't pop. hear you say Ripley. <laughs> <laughs> we'll I just, just want you to know when you hear it later when you're editing. <laughs> just pretend I did not answer when you addressed your cat. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, okay. Allie is ready as well. Um, <laughs> Allie is going to do the summary for the Buffy episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, okay. Uh, obviously, end of last episode, super tragic. Mm-hmm. Buffy and Tara are both shot by Warren. Tara dies, and Buffy is in critical condition, but Willow obviously looks like she's ready to kind of go off the magical deep end. So we open up, and Xander has called the EMTs Buffy still alive, but obviously not in great shape. Um, They come, they take her to the hospital. She's immediately rushed into surgery, and we see Willow kind of come downstairs sort of a little bit catatonic-ish, you know, almost, mm-hmm. like, or very just, like, single-minded. She goes to the magic shop, bypasses Anya's, like, seems concerned, but decides, you know what, just give me all your books on black magic, mm-hmm. siphons all the information into her, basically. Hair, into her hair. Yeah, mm-hmm. into her hair. I mean, that's, <laughs> that is what dyes it black, right, is the ink. <laughs> and, Definitely. And then Willow sets off. Um, she goes to the hospital where... She interrupts Buffy's surgery and magically heals her. Oh, and I should mention, this is after she first attempts to yeah. bring Tara back from the dead, which does not go to plan because as they, this magical being tells her, Tara was killed by human means, not mystical means, and so she can't bring her back in this way. So she goes and heals Buffy, and then she's on a mission. She's going to track Warren. Warren, meanwhile, is in the local demon bar celebrating, gloating to everyone who will listen that he killed the Slayer. They're obviously a bit surprised and skeptical to hear this, especially once he tells them that he shot her. And then they just decide, you know, oh, well, this guy's really a joke. Like, he has no idea what he's talking about because the Mm -hmm. demons are seemingly under the impression that this is why no one's tried a gun because Buffy heals too fast. Like, human weapons are not going to do the job. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially since apparently they've also seen on the news that a woman was taken 
to the hospital who had been shot in her yard, so she's still alive, which to them means she's going to stay alive because Warren's missed his window. Warren hears this and obviously gets a little bit nervous that the Slayer is going to come and retaliate against him. He goes to Rack, who... Mm-hmm doesn't really know what's going on, but he can sense that Willow has gathered all of this power. And so he tells Warren, I wouldn't be worried about the Slayer. I would be worried about the witch. And Warren, as he does, is like, well, I don't know what I did to her. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Rack informs him that he doesn't really know either, but someone is dead. And so Willow is coming after him. So the rest of the episode is basically Willow trying to chase down Warren. Um, she eventually does find him and decides to punish him in a pretty brutal way. She's using spells to try to get him to feel what it's like to be shot, except super slowly. She stitches his mouth shut, and then eventually, once he finally pisses her off, she flays him alive. Um, And then that's kind of where we end off. And the whole time, Buffy and Xander find out about Tara. They're trying to talk Willow down and convince her this is not the way. As Buffy repeatedly says in this episode, you know, the rules that we play in the human world are different, and I'm not, I can't take a human life, and none of us should take a human life. That's not Mm -hmm. how it works. Um, Willow has gone past that point, though, and does, in fact, kill Warren, and everybody else is powerless to stop it. yeah, and that's where we end up. Also, poor Dawn is the one to discover yeah. Tara's body, so she's yes. pretty well shocked and traumatized yes. by this whole event as well. Um, and Buffy yeah. makes a complete recovery, so now the game is just trying to find out where Willow magically teleported herself to. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that happens is that um, Anya reveals to Xander and Thank you. Buffy oh, that and she's a vengeance demon now. You are correct. And I forgot to mention that we do check in on Spike, who has... Oh, left right. town and um, is, I would assume, based on the, All the way in probably Africa? in like the Caribbean or something. Oh, okay. That was what I was assuming. Um, well, oh, but the, you know what? The subtitle said African drums or something, which is why I said that. Yeah. So, but I, who knows? It, He's it's somewhere. not clear where Seems he a little is. Far. I yeah. <laughs> did a lot of thinking about that and I came to the conclusion that he could maybe be in the Caribbean given the timeline, yeah, really but no way be that far. did he make yeah. it to Africa yet. No, uh, that was what we were like, that seems far. Yeah. Especially considering he's got to cross an entire... Co- anyway, logistics-wise, yeah. I think that's probably where he is. He could be in that Africa. I don't know. But he's interacting with a demon who he seems to have told he wants help getting him to remove the chip. Um, yes. So that's where Spike is. Where which, And Buffy finds out that he's left town when she goes... Um, despite everything that happened in the last episode to yeah. leave Dawn with him because Dawn asks to stay with Spike because she feels safe with him. And rightly, Buffy points out that Spike physically can't hurt her. So mm-hmm. she would be safe with him. Um, unfortunately, Dawn gets left with Clem as her babysitter instead. So Well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, don't know if that's unfortunate. A nice guy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. I mean... Uh, yeah, it's funny. I feel I feel like I'm having a personal case of whiplash, which is to say that, like, I'm all on board on this episode. I'm very annoyed at, you know, I'm, I guess I'm not very annoyed. I guess I just feel like a hypocrite being tra- kind of trashing on the last episode, but then being like, but this one's great. I don't know. I, I think, honestly, it's just, what's the word? Mm, it's cathartic to watch Warren get taken down. 
I obviously yeah. don't condone anything that Willow, Willow is doing if this were the real world, but in my piece of fiction where I've had to watch these dumb incels, you know, wreak havoc on a bunch of women and watch Warren repeatedly be a misogynist and a murderer and everything else bad that one could be. I mean, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> you know, like I, I know that Buffy's right. They shouldn't be killing Warren. This is obviously terrible for Willow and I am sad for Willow, but I'm not sad to like watch Warren get tortured in the woods for like a minute. I so, 100% agree. That's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> I know. I actually thought about this because so the whole time in this episode is happening, there's this looming thing in the background, which is that Tara is dead, which we talked yes. about in the last episode. That is a bit yeah. problematic in that it like furthers this trope, but also, unfortunately, like why did they have to kill Tara? Like it feels right. a little bit uncalled for and also deeply unfair to the character and Amber Benson. And also to me, what really digs in the knife or like salt in the wound in this episode is that they literally just leave Tara in the house. I know. I know. One, because Buffy and Xander don't know. Don't know. And Willow is not in a frame of mind to inform anyone as she tells them I was busy. And I mean, and Dawn just doesn't know what to do. It seems. but the result of that is that through this whole episode, Tara just feels kind of forgotten. That's true. Is super like to me, it felt like insult to injury of like, okay, you've not only killed this character, but you're sort yeah. of through the plot <laughs> mechanics about of this her. episode yeah. implying like it doesn't really matter to anybody except Willow, which is not quite a fair interpretation right. because. But I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. But okay, in spite of all of that though, that this thing happened. For it to be a catalyst for Willow to then go and everything that she does to Warren, honestly. Yes, it's gross. It's It's a lot, but it almost feels like it's too good for him. Like, yeah, like I mean, because even while she's pinned him down and he's confronting her and he's trying to talk her down, the only things he can really muster are she deserved you it. deserved it yeah bitch, and you're yeah. asking for it and all exactly. this and so like, even at this point he is still the worst and at that point i was just like take his damn skin off already yeah like, exactly yeah. <laughs> it's like kind of wait, waiting for it i'm kind of ready yeah so i i agree i mean it's hard to deny the catharsis and you know so whatever i would never do this i don't would never i get you know, I think they play Xander and Buffy correctly, which is that they're completely disgusted that she's doing this. And I know that that's the real world reaction to this, but definitely in fiction, it's it's a little bit, um, it's not I the mean, worst. I <laughs> mean, even Dawn is like abdicating to kill him, so. True, true. <laughs> well, I mean, kill him is one thing. I think flay him slowly in the woods is um, what Buffy and Xander are really reacting to. Yeah. I mean, even Anya I mean, seems the, a bit probably horrified. The murder. And she's yeah. probably done worse. But yes. I mean, it, it, is, it is surprising. And I think, you know, at least what I am assuming how I felt, like you said, I agree, catharsis at this is that it really is him getting his comeuppance because this whole season, even last season, we've seen him with the robots, with Katrina, with, you know, his friends, the way he's treating Andrew and Jonathan and like all of this. And it just really feels like, you know, the real world, the human world, like as Buffy says, bad guys don't always get what they deserve. Right. And in this instance, it feels like through these mystical means, Warren is getting what he deserves. Also, seemingly kind of in spite of everyone's best efforts. Yes, um, yeah. And then also, I think, but what helps is that Willow feels removed from this situation because while she is Willow and she is doing this, she's also not Willow. Like, she yeah. seems fully embodied by the magic at this point. And, like, she's got her emotions, but her main emotion is you know, grief vengeance. and anger. Yeah. And yeah. as Anya says, like her main through line here is vengeance. But sure. the difference is that 
while normally Anya would be compelled to go to her, like Willow clearly doesn't need help nor want it. Yeah. But I think the, the important thing here is like this is vengeance. This is almost like this emotion has taken over Willow and the magics. And so it's a bit easier to look at it and say, yeah, go ahead. Because it doesn't feel yeah. like there are emotional consequences for Willow because Willow's not there. I think we'll find that that's not true, but right now, at the right. end of this episode, I was just, like, cheering her on. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, too. <laughs> I, I think what I... I do think that they threw some wrenches in into it. Um, specifically, I, I think it's interesting that she, first of all, has the wherewithal. Not, I'm not surprised that she does this, because even in her grief, I think she wants to save Buffy from dying. And I think it's pretty clear that like, if Willow hadn't intervened, there's a pretty good chance that Buffy would have died for real, <laughs> you know, for real and for final, because they definitely seem to be struggling um, to get her stabilized and to get the bullet out of her. So that Willow steps in, I think is pretty crucial. What I thought was interesting is that she is so single-minded already at that point, but that she still takes the time to go step aside and save Buffy. I think that's kind of interesting. And I think telling about, you know, that she is, pretty much overtaken by this, but not completely. It's not that I don't think Dark Willow... It's not that I think Dark Willow is trying to kill Buffy or anything. I just feel like that's wasted time. You know, Buff Warren is getting away while she's doing that. And and especially because, ultimately, she's not going to ask Buffy for help doing this. Like, I think she knows... I, I guess that's kind of... All, that's my main point. But I do find it odd that she even takes Buffy and Xander with her. You know, like, See, she could have just taken Xander's car. Why does she want them there the yeah, first time I that they're chasing him? I question that as well, because it does seem a bit odd that she takes this detour to the hospital. Um, yeah. And I guess the way I felt about it was I, of two minds. Either it's that, on some level, she couldn't save Tara, so she can at least save Buffy. And that I, would still I totally be Willow agree with in that. there. And yes. as Willow tells Warren, like, because he was like, oh... I didn't mean to do that or whatever. She's like, oh, okay, so you didn't kill my friend, but you accidentally killed my girlfriend. Like, in right, that right. situation, <laughs> like, yeah. she, she was going to lose someone. So I think on that level, she's still there. But I also was wondering if, like, you know, it didn't really come through in the writing of this, but, like, maybe in some way she's saving Buffy because, like, the Slayer can be a valuable tool in this in some way. Even if, like, we know that Buffy's not going to help her kill Warren, but yeah, maybe, she was maybe kind the of way she's thinking, she like, calculating yeah. all the angles, like, keeping Buffy alive is going to be a benefit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you're ultimately, right. it feels I think more like she stopped to save her friend, which I think is nice, and I think it is an important. Well, I guess what I'm saying is redeemed that, in some way. <laughs> I, it, it redeems her, but I think most, more so to your other point, she is really overtaken by the magic. But I think it is actually more just evidence that she's not completely taken over. You know, she's not so single-minded that she forgot to save Buffy. I guess is my main point. Yeah, at least not then. I feel like as she right, right, in she's her not far enough along. As the episode progresses, she's more and more robotic in a way. It's in true. fact, at the end, I think um, first of all, great return of the line "bored now." Bored now, but I, but <laughs> my I think favorite that it's telling say. that she does that because I think the reason they chose that is because the only time Willow utters that term is when she's the doppelganger vampire mm-hmm. and she's completely absent of soul or care and. Right. So I she's reached that point they use again. that to signal that she's been completely taken over at this point. I think you're right. Like we are now in Dark Willow, like doppelganger Willow territory of she's not yeah. feeling emotions, she's not human, she's just solely consumed by this, and this man is yapping in front of her, and she's bored. And like, yeah. Also, I, though, he's boring. <laughs> Warren, he you're so dumb. That is the perfect thing to say to him. Like, she could not care less about the dumb excuses that he has, and I agree. Boring. You're so boring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Sorry. I mean, even just the way he, like, leaves his friends in jail and, like, goes to the bar. It's and true. his first instinct is to, like, buy around for the house and gloat. Like, yeah, it is boring. Like, you can't even celebrate in, like, an board. original way. Like, yeah. <laughs> you could at least leave town. I don't know. It's true. Why hasn't he left immediately? Also, does he think that, like, no one's going to tell the cops? Like, he right. just took out the Slayer, but, like, he, he didn't shoot Xander. Like, right, right, right. He knows there's witnesses. There's a witness. Why would you... Like, he's just stupid. I think he's just that genuinely cocky about it, you know? Yeah, I I don't know. <sighs> so, speaking of the other members of the trio, I, I also think that they're kind of fascinating in this episode. Or maybe not fascinating, but, like, it's very interesting to me to see where they've, en- they've ended up. It's also very interesting to me... Sorry, before I move on from that, namely what I want to say is that when they're in jail, first of all, Andrew is still basically holding out hope that he's not even holding out hope. He genuinely thinks that Warren cares about them and cares about him specifically. And it's so, you know, like it's heartbreaking to like make that switch to the bar scene where you see that like Warren hasn't even given them a second thought. Like he doesn't care about them. He, yeah, he's, he doesn't even care about them. It's pretty evident that he literally forgot that they're in jail. Yes, he did. But what I also thought was really notable is that they also, Jonathan says something about something to Andrew about like, no one's coming for us. You even called your aunt and she didn't even pick up the phone. So I think, I guess I just mean to say it's like a kind of a throwaway line, but I think it definitely gives us a little bit of insight into like where these guys are not really where they're coming from, but like it definitely gives a little bit of explanation to kind of like not only were they shunned in high school, but it seems like they kind of don't have a family life either. You know, it's not they don't have anyone really to turn to except each other. And they're obviously failing one another. So I, th- I guess I just thought that was kind of interesting or at least at least Andrew. But we've already seen how many problems Jonathan, you know, he seems to have a lot of mental struggles he's been battling things since they were in high school. So I guess I just think it's very interesting and and not hard to believe that they would end up kind of under the, not thrall magically, but kind of, you know, under the thrall and influence of Warren. No, I agree with you. And I, I think this isn't the first signal we've gotten, at least in Warren's case or Andrew's case that like maybe his parents are slightly absentee because Mm -hmm. how does your brother train hellhounds in the basement without your parents noticing unless they're not interested in what you're doing. Yeah, or um, not there. Or not there at all. I mean, I think there's a reference here to, like, maybe they're being raised by their aunt yeah. or something. Yeah, um, But, no, I think you're absolutely right. Like, Warren has become this, like, family figure for them. And so, especially for Andrew, who especially still hasn't for Andrew, yeah. seemed to realize that he's been betrayed, um, it would be especially heartbreaking to realize that he's not coming. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did also love that scene of them. Yeah, the me jail. too. Yeah. Um, um, which also speaks to, I just want to say that, you know, for me, the trio is emblematic of the worst kind of male out there, but yeah. I reserve most of that for Warren and that I agree, Jonathan yeah. and Andrew are still on the comedic side of it, I think, for me. Yeah. Which, you or know, they're they on the tragic problematic side, moments, you know? but they, you're right, they are more tragic, and but they still have moments where I'm like, I think they're making the point without it being gross, whereas Warren has fully crossed the line. For sure. I mean, they, yes, I... I don't want to make too many excuses for them, but I, I mean, ultimately, I agree with you. And actually, that's kind of my second point about this. I definitely think it's interesting because really where this where this episode finally like really ends is Willow basically saying like, well, there's two more of you. So it's clear that her next targets are Andrew and Jonathan because they were complicit in this kind of whole event. Also, and so here's a question but, for you. Like, given what we just saw happen to Warren, I mean, 
I know how I feel. Like, would you right, want no. that? No, of course on not. Either? Yeah, no, they're not. Exactly. They're not. Well, deserve, so lest you and I sound callous totally and heartless. vindictive <laughs> and like bloodthirsty, let's just be clear that right. we only no, care way about Warren. <laughs> I agree. And I actually, but that's actually kind of my point is that I think what they are doing correct with this storyline is it does feel really good for a second to watch Willow kind of go down this path. And I can, you know, it's like, it's like easy to kind of get sucked into rooting for her because, because Warren is just so villainous. But as soon as she starts going after them, I think it really is a good reminder that like, okay, she's, it's not just a reminder that she's gone too far. It's just like really, I just really think it's a good way to press the point. She's, she wasn't going to be, it would be kind of one thing if she really truly were just after Warren and then was like, all right, I'm done. You know, like justice has been served, but like, it's clear that that's really not what her motive is, or at least that might've been kind of what got her out the gate, but like things are just out, already out of control. So I guess I just mean Warren and Andrew are really, I'm sorry, jo- Jonathan and Andrew are a really good next target for her because it really is going to ground, I think us, the viewers back into reality of like, whoa, she did just murder a human in the woods, but also she's not going to stop, you know? For even these people who probably don't deserve that, who I think have illustrated that, especially Jonathan at least, feels remorse and could deserves to just be handed normal, traditional, uh, you know, uh, justice and punishment. So, yeah, I don't know. I I definitely I just mean to say I think it is a good choice that she goes for Warren first and she's not ramping up to that. But also that, like, it just reminds us, the viewers who do feel more sympathy to them, like where she's really at. No, I agree. I think like, and I think maybe the writers are well well aware of this. Is I that think so too. There is a kind of catharsis of seeing her go after Warren, but it's important that that is the first thing that she does because nobody's going to be sad if Willow does that. But then you're right, going after Jonathan and Andrew is taking it too far, and mm-hmm. that's that that's the reminder to us that no, no, no. As fun as this might be, right, to watch, right. don't, yes, <laughs> this don't is what's get actually happening. <laughs> Willow has now committed murder, and yeah, you know she can't continue this. Like I think. And and I also think, like, this is important for the character, too, because as we talked about a lot last week about Mm -hmm. how you write your characters to an unredeemable corner, um, there's a big risk of doing that with Willow here, too. You know, I mean, like, this is all, she might be overtaken by the magic, but these are all a result of her decisions. And I think ultimately nobody could fault her, really, for... I mean, yes, murder is could, bad, but, but, yeah. but forgiving in, in the moment and losing control enough to kill Warren as the person who killed yeah. Tara, who shot Buffy. But Andrew and Jonathan had nothing to do with that. And That's true. for her to keep going on, I mean, like we've seen the trio being pests the entire season, but they've mm-hmm. never really done anything to Buffy and team that would warrant murdering that, them. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they really haven't done anything to anyone else either. I mean, like... Mm, Katrina, I, I, but... Even that they was, didn't kill her though, so that no. was Warren. Uh, no, no, I'm not saying I mean, that what they did you're right. wasn't you're right. gross, but like it doesn't. They're not. They don't deserve to die for it. And I'm assuming that security guard they freeze raid made a full recovery, but right, that's yeah, true. Yeah, but but there it would be problematic to have Willow go after them and and succeed because I don't know that Willow can be redeemed from that. Right. It's true. I mean, as as loose as they seem, seem to play with a lot of the rules, I think to have two characters that you write into this kind of corner is insurmountable. Whereas unfortunately for Spike, I mean, being written into this corner, they're still going to use the vampire card to write themselves out of it. And maybe we let them, but with Willow, she's still human through and through. So as, as much as she might not be feeling the full brunt of that right now because of the magic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's a very long winded way of saying, I agree that, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah, okay. Um, but speaking of that, I did. I had one more note of that that I found really interesting okay. in this episode, um, in that the one person on Willow's side is Anya. It's true, yeah. And that she has obviously since become a vengeance demon again. She tells Xander that in this episode, but also she agrees to help them locate Willow, but she's also very clear that yeah, she's doing the, this to help Willow. Right. Um, and so Anya's not feeling that conundrum of this, like, mortal, like, right. morality, right? Like, she's looking at the situation and in full vengeance demon, like, it's mindset true. saying... I will help you. I'm I understand yeah. why you don't want this to happen, but I actually would be in favor of this happening, so let's go, you know? Yeah. And I actually thought that was a really fascinating angle for the show to take and makes me honestly, like, very optimistic about what they could do with this character because we talked about how... This character meaning Anya? Yes. Okay. So, sorry, uh, I should clarify. Yes, Anya. Um, because we talked about a little bit after the wedding episode, like... Why is Anya still on the show? What is left? Right. Because they've built her up as this identity being completely solely about Xander. Um, and I think this is a good sign of, like, the right. interesting angle they could take with her. Yeah. No, so. I think you're right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I yeah, I agree. I liked Anya in this episode. I do... I don't know how she found out about the shooting. Like... Willow walks in and, like, to I the think magic box the and, like, her friends powers. don't even know that I think it's Tara's the dead... I think it's her vengeance sense. Okay. Because that's how, you know, she knows that Willow is somebody now who's been wronged. So she knows what happened then. I think. I was really wondering that because she walks into the magic shop and her friends at that point don't even know that Tara's dead. Right. And they're still at the house and Anya's like, I know what happened. (laughs) I think that's why. I think think that's definitely why. And even if maybe she, as a vengeance demon, can only see bits and pieces and wouldn't normally have all the details, and the fact that she does know who Willow and Tara are would be like she could piece it together, you know, even if she's kind of just getting a sense. What else is going on? I mean, (laughs) I've said this a lot, but poor Dawn, like, she really hasn't asked for any of this. She hasn't done anything to deserve any of this. And, like, I think they really... I, I mean, it's obviously tragic and awful to watch the way that Buffy finds her when they finally come back home. You know, we see Dawn come home. Nobody's there as usual. You know, she has to go. She's probably feeling lonely. She's feeling all the normal things that she's been kind of going through this whole season, only to find that the reason that the house is empty is because somehow Tara's dead in the room and she's just a body on the floor. Like, I can't imagine many things that are more traumatic than that. And and then, that you know, it's just so sad the way they find her. It's I always I always expect that, like, oh, yeah, Dawn will just call the call the police and like that's what they'll come home to. But like, it makes a lot of sense that she doesn't do that also. Yeah. But also just, I think nothing is to me more illustrative of Willow's state of mind than the fact that like, she yeah. just left Tara on the bed. I know. Oh God. And I, and like when Dawn comes home, Tara is just lying cold on the floor in a dark yeah. house with the front door wide open. Like, yeah. it's just so striking. Like the image, I think of it that is and, like, I mean, and you forgive Buffy and Xander because, first of all, they had no idea. They really didn't happening. know. <laughs> yeah. And they're solely, obviously, occupied with getting Buffy to the hospital, as they right. should be. And also, Willow walks straight out of the house and says nothing. Right, right. I mean, Xander maybe might have wondered, like, what happened to her. Why shirt. is she bloody? Yeah. But again, but he's we in a state of shock because too. he had other things on his mind. Exactly. And maybe he just assumes that it had something to do with Buffy. You know, he's covered in blood too. So, yeah. anyway, so I, I guess, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that I kind of briefly want to talk about Spike. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Just because I, knowing what ta- what ultimately ends up happening, mm-hmm. um, 
I find the start of this journey interesting because we kind of it's kind of implied through Clem and this whole thing of like, oh, Spike left town, like he might be gone for a while. Yeah. Um, that maybe perhaps Spike is leaving because he feels bad about what he did. But then he's talking to this demon and he's he's talking about returning to his former self. Like right. and he keeps talking about the chip. So he and the demon, I think, seem to be having two different conversations that I'm only really picking up on now because of how I know how this ends, but like mm-hmm. Spike keeps talking about a chip and the demon keeps using the words like restoration and like all of this and like also laughing at him that he feels the need to go through this because of this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder if like from the beginning, the demon has decided like to trick him, like, oh, you want to be restored to your former self. I'll really make sure that happens. Um, Interesting. Which was one thing that I noticed. But the other thing that I noticed that I found really problematic is, again, how are you going to redeem this character who literally just tried to rape Buffy, mm-hmm. seems to be off because, like, on this quest because he feels bad about it, but then keeps repeatedly calling her a bitch. Like, yeah. It's problematic. It's like, it's he's true. like, bitch thinks she's better than me. I'll show that bitch. Like, it's like, I'm sorry. Well, is that her name now? Like, Right. I have to say, too, though, I, I mean, they're just going above and beyond to to obscure what is really going on. I, I feel like are, that's really the it, main reason that he's saying that is because they really want us to feel like the reason that he's there is because he wants the chip removed once and for all. So that I don't, I, I feel like I don't think we're supposed to be left thinking he feels so bad that he had to leave. I think we're left thinking we're supposed to be left thinking that he is so fed up with feeling these way, this way that he just wants to be himself again, which is to say evil. But they've <laughs> never implied that he thinks it's from the chip that he fell in love with her. No, and no, 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 no. I think he, I, I don't think it's that he's trying to be cured of the love. He's trying to be cured of caring. I, I always took it that way. also doesn't have anything to do with that. No, no, no. But then he could act evil freely and just be him, yeah. his old self. I always I guess took it that I way. Really, I definitely... I, I really watched pretty, this scene and I felt like it just undercuts the final outcome. It definitely does, but I have to... I Okay, I mean, I'm sure there's multiple interpretations of this, but I have a very vivid memory of watching this season because it was that uh, when we were graduating from college and I was trying... I was trying to figure out if in 24 hours I could finish all of season seven before we <laughs> I had to give you your DVDs back. You obviously were like, you could just take season seven and mail it back to me. Thank you. Yeah, um, but I, I just mean to say that like, I have a pretty vivid memory of being in our senior year dorm um, or, you know, apartment, like packing up and watching all of seasons, trying to marathon season six to get through it. But I just, I know that at the time I was like, oh, they're trying to make Spike evil again. So like, I totally bought the kind of lies that they're telling you. I really think that... I guess what I mean to say, though, is that you're totally right. They're undercutting everything because they're trying so hard to make us think he's doing this other thing. So I really think they're trying to make us feel like he is trying to just be evil again once and for all. He is like an, you know, like an angel trying to be Angelus to like, I won't feel this way anymore if I can just be my true evil self. Um, but yeah, and maybe because that's not what he's doing. It, yeah, you're right. They're totally they're just messing it up. Why isn't he acting contrite? Why is he? calling her horrible names why is he acting this way yeah it doesn't make sense but i think you're right because we're supposed to think that he's trying he's to get mad about move, it. which i think i yeah. actually think is what he's trying to do and maybe oh, i don't think that's what he's trying to do i know the ultimate outcome but again this goes back to this idea of like how do you hmm. redeem him because he has attempted to rape her he seemed to feel really bad about it immediately mm. afterwards at the time and now he just isn't even referring to her by name. He's referring to her as that bitch. Right. And so I just really can't 
be on his side right now. Like, I'm like, I don't care if you want your chip removed. I don't care about... I, okay, sorry, though. To be clear, I don't think he is going after his chip. He's definitely trying to get his soul back, I think. Though I've always, in retrospect, understood that his entire mission was he left. He does feel that bad. He thinks the only way he can redeem himself is by getting his soul back and becoming better. I really think he's trying to get his soul back, not trying to get the chip out. Because I feel like the way the demon is talking, like... The demon is talking that way because they're just... It's lies. Lies. The writers are just lying to us. I really think that... I feel like the demon is talking about, yes, restoring his soul, but, like, Spike is not quite on the same page yet. I think Spike is on the same page. If anything, the demon's confused. I don't think Spike has... I don't think he's confused about it. He's definitely going after his soul. Yeah. Well, I think here's an example I, of where clearer writing might help. <laughs> I mean, it's because right. they're, try- again, they're just because trying, they're trying to, to keep it's it a fuzzy. twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's because they want to have that big twist at the very end of the season, which when you're marathoning it in a fugue state because you're trying to pack and leave college and it's all emotional, it totally works. The twist works. <laughs> if well, you're it's like when you try to do the but. twist of after Connor's born and Angel's driving away with the baby in the car and he's talking to it and it turns out to be a teddy bear. It's like, why were you talking to it? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like all in the service of the twist. I feel like something's it not is. quite going right. It's yeah. all in the service of the twist though. I don't have any, I personally though, don't doubt that Spike's left town to get his soul back, not to get the chip out. I really don't think that's what he's doing. Well, it's true that like, that's kind of a big effort to go to get something metal removed from his head. Yeah. I mean, he could do, he already almost got the chip removed once before in Sunnydale. Like, I don't think he'd have to go to the ends of the earth to do that. Yeah. He might have to try pretty hard, but I don't think he'd have to go to all this way. I mean, hell, Willow could just do it. Right. So. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, so, yes. But I agree. I think that because they're trying so hard, they're just, like, make, kind of digging him into a further and further hole. Uh, as with as with kind of everything after this point, I guess I just, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'm kind of just ignoring it, which is its own sort of problem. But, you know, I just think it's stupid, frankly. So, Yeah. It would be a nice story for him to go through trials and tribulations for his soul. It is not a nice story for him to be name calling and being a jerk. Yeah. It's just a little, I don't know. Something about the tone was a little off for me. It definitely was. And you're right. And I noticed that too. Um, I had another note about uh, the doctors in the hospital. Okay. Uh, Willow tells them to leave and they just leave. Yeah. Like, they leave their patient on the operating table. I hope that we can infer some, uh, you know, magical reasons for that, but it does sort of feel like they just leave. I was a little bit taken aback. Like, I was like, like, uh, like, obviously Willow was kind of threatening, but, like, you have a patient on the operating table who's, like, bleeding out. Like, you just walked away. (laughs) Haven't you heard of the Hippocratic Oath? Like, come on. We did see her freeze Anya for, like, a pretty long time by just saying it, so I'm just assuming that it was kind of the same, like, magical command, but, yeah. It does just kind of come across like they're just like, all right. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I mean, I feel like that's kind of most of what I have to say, but I... Overall, I do enjoy a Dark Willow. (laughs) (laughs) Not just because of the Warren thing, but I think, I guess... It was nice. It wasn't nice. It was obviously the beginning of this episode was kind of wretched. You know, watching her in her grief is awful, but it was nice to feel sorry for Willow again. (laughs) You know, to not hate her for kind of being a monster this whole season was like, oh, I really do feel, I feel sympathy for you and I feel bad for what's happened. And watching you there break down and cry like it was another good Allison Hannigan cry. I liked watching her in her desperation. Um, I don't know. I I, I like it. I like, and I, I don't know. I, yeah. 
I agree. I think it was great. And I also just want to reiterate that I really appreciate that they had her immediately go back to the well of that spell that revived Buffy. I agree. Oh, totally. It would be this thing in her arsenal that if she didn't try it, you'd always wonder, like, well, why the hell not? But also, I just think that I don't know if this was the intention, but what I really took from it was, like, all of this work that Willow has been trying to do to be better was really... Maybe it was in service of, like, maybe she objectively knows this is right and everyone else around her is telling her, like, what the right thing to do, which is, like, not doing all the magic, but that she immediately goes back to this spell that really kicked it all off to begin with. That's true, yeah. Like, that everyone was angry that she had done, and, like, without a thought, it's just like, I'll do it again. And I think it speaks to, like, how desperate she is, but I also, I don't know if this is the point, but I kind of... Maybe she hasn't learned anything. Exactly. Like, maybe this is how she finally learns the lesson, is, like, she's been doing well, she's been sober, like, for all intents and purposes, from magic. Mm -hmm. She's really gotten to the point where like Tara trusts her again like all of this but it really maybe wasn't actually she really hadn't completed this journey of like because like she so quickly jumps to it you're totally right like it's pretty much immediate and I think that's important yeah no I think you're right but that said I enjoyed it because (laughs) Uh, yeah like really like Dark Willow and I'm excited for the next couple episodes. So. I agree. And Dark Bar- Board Now is like my favorite, one of my favorite lines or like, you know, catchphrases that any character ever has in all of TV. Like it's just so fun and like so, and it's it just, just so perfectly evil. Yeah. <laughs> it's just nice. I really like it. That'll be on your next ornament. Oh, it will. <laughs> Ugh, sometimes I wish I could say that to people's faces. I just want to but... have like a t-shirt. Yeah, I agree. Bored now. <laughs> like no no context, no no picture of Will or anything. Everyone is in the know will know, but I just want Yeah. Just want to say bored now. <laughs> <sighs> um, all right, well should we talk about a new world speaking? I guess of so. Bored yeah. Now? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, should we oh, all God. talk about when Angel gets a job on Madison Avenue <laughs> writing <laughs> advertisements with his son? <laughs> This is where uh, Pete Campbell learned all his tricks. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay. In the Quartop dimension. (laughs) Um, I I mean, I'll try and make this quick, mostly because I I just watched this, but, like, what what even happened? Um, (laughs) Not much. (laughs) So, I mean, we saw in the last episode, obviously, as kind of most of this season has, picks up exactly where the last episode left off, which is, you know, a kid appeared a teenager appeared through some sort of portal dimension or something and took out a big demon and he looks super badass and then he's like hey dad or hi fought whatever he said um so angel immediately you know even though basically where this episode starts this new person who we know to be connor we the viewers know to be connor is immediately attacking everybody in angel investigations uh you know Grooselog is going after him gun is going after him angel is trying to kind of quickly make sense of everything because he heard him say that, you know, announce himself as his son. Um, But this episode kind of opens with this kind of like big elaborate fight scene between all of them, among all of them, and Angel sort of desperately telling them, stop going after him, this is my son. They're kind of like, why would you think that? (laughs) Because your son is a baby. (laughs) He'd left a week ago as an infant. It's probably not this teenager. But, you know, Angel is convinced. He seems to know right away. Um, can I just pause and say like not once in this episode did anybody recognize that Angel probably could tell because his scent 
Right. It's true. But also, why does an angel say, like, I can smell him? Yeah. Whatever. Sorry. No, that's fine. So Connor escapes. Um, Angel tries to flee and catch him before everybody stops him because it's the middle of the day and he's going to be burnt to a crisp. So instead, everybody else, you know, Fred and Gunn start chasing after the trail of Connor trying to figure out where he's gone. Um, Meanwhile, whatever portal or, you know, dimensional rift that he's come through to the hotel is still open. So um, everybody is chasing after Connor, trying to piece together what happened. The Grooselog and Cordelia decide to stay behind and make sure nothing else dangerous comes out of this, you know, portal that seems to have opened up once again in the lobby of the hotel of the Hyperion. So um, that's kind of where we're at. Angel is just kind of uselessly sitting by because he can't go out until it's nighttime. So luckily, um, Lauren thinks he knows somebody who can help with the the dimensional portal that's been opened up or whatever it is. Um, so he goes off to find that person, uh, gun and Fred do manage to kind of track where Connor has ended up. They saw the bus that he, you know, the bus number that he got on. So they know generally where it's headed. Connor is dressed like Peter Pan. as Some uh, <laughs> witnesses describe him. So it's like not that hard to get kind of eyewitness statements to kind of piece together what's happened. So, um, meanwhile, Connor is making his way around LA. Uh, you, by the use of some pretty poor special effects. (laughs) Um, And he ends up uh, kind of in a shady area. He sees what looks like a, you know, I'm sure he doesn't know this, but what is a drug deal go on kind of in the, um, I don't know what those are, on the outskirts of town. Um, I guess like by the river. What are those called where they have the drag races in Greece? (laughs) Isn't it the LA River? Yeah, maybe. Well, that's where they filmed it. Where they... All right. Well, anyway, so he kind of witnesses this drug deal that's not going well. This woman is trying to pawn CDs off to her drug dealer. He's not taking it because they doesn't think they're worthless, but or doesn't think they're worth worth anything. But then he starts getting violent with her. Connor seems to be quite noble, much like his father, or you know thinks he's noble at least. Uh, I mean, in this case, he's justified. So he goes in, starts a fight with this guy, ends up getting beat up by this. You know, this guy is a pretty powerful gang member. He is lackeys come and start beating up Connor before he's able to kind of take them all out and takes that guy's ear as a trophy. Uh, so then he follows this girl named Sunny around. She takes him to kind of her little current living space, which is a pretty unfortunate space. Um, you know, she, she sort of tries to explain that, you know, like what her drugs are as medicine, but they seem to kind of hit it off. Uh, they start smooching <laughs> and she leaves to go do something um, and then Connor must just fall asleep in the meantime before he wakes up late, much later, only to realize that she's OD'd in the other room. Um, of course, these other gang leaders have by then tracked him down, as has Angel. <laughs> Everybody's there. They all have a big fight. Angel heroically takes a bullet for Connor, but Connor, you know, until, and he is able to let Connor escape. I think it's kind of, whatever, we'll get into it. So finally, Connor makes his own way. Angel tells him, you know, you can always stay with us at the hotel, but I understand that might not be what you need right now. So Connor runs away. Angel goes back home and um, we see Connor, uh, you know, an old man, a quote unquote old man come around the corner and it's Holtz and he's like, hey, dad. Anyway, so Holtz is back. Meanwhile, sorry, last but not least, Lorne has his some other demon friend who says, oh, this isn't even a portal. It's a rip in the universe or whatever. Super bad. And she's able to stitch it up. So that dimensional rift is gone. I sorry, that was much longer than I meant for it to be. But 
That's okay. There Maybe you go. a lot did happen in this episode. I mean, a lot did happen. It's just not my favorite. I mean, <laughs> who's surprised by this? No, literally nobody listening to this. Everybody's probably already turned this off because they don't want to hear us complain about Angel. I have to say, though, boy, oh boy, I, I really understand where Angel is like plot wise and like circumstantially and he's not doing anything I don't think really that wrong but it's hard to watch him act this way you know like him and Connor keep getting in fist fights I understand that Connor is starting all of them and that he's really physically capable so it's not as though like he's not really like a small child who's doing this but like there's just so many scenes of Angel just that really make him look like an abusive father that it's like hard to really I get it I really do get it and I know that it's circumstantial but it's like really hard to feel much for him you know, well, okay, and it's like kind of a mistake. That point, because I think it's a good one. And I think it's why I found the opening scene so frustrating. Yes. So we ended the last episode of Connor pointing his little wrist mm-hmm. gun thing at yeah. Angel. And this episode opens as he fires. And so yeah. everybody is under attack immediately. And they don't know who he what is. He said, they might yeah. not even have heard him say, hi, dad. Like... Angel and Angel's like, no, like everybody, you know, he's trying to contain the fight while also get Connor to stop. But as you said, Connor is very capable and has clearly been training his entire life mm-hmm. to be a fighter. And so he is a threat that must be contained. But the whole thing is very frustrating to watch because his son has just come back. Angel recognizes him as his son. And the only thing they're doing is fighting and yeah. nobody's saying anything, you know, and and what's really frustrating is, like, that this violence, obviously, and I think this is the point, because right. I, it's really not said, but I think the implication as Connor's kind of like, I know all about you, like, blah, 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 like, the implication here is that Angel is feeding into this image that Connor has been told about right. him. right. And it's frustrating because it's entirely a situation of Connor's making, but at the same time, how else could they react? Because Connor could very well have murdered, like, Gunn or Fred or, like, you know, it's just, like, you have to contain the threat. Um, But it is really frustrating because it does happen more than once and it keeps happening. And every time Angel needs to contain him, like, when he's trying to keep him from going after the drug dealers... We know he's doing a good thing, but but it's just hard hard to watch him shove him against the wall. But but yes, it's it is violent. It is abusive. He is shoving him up against the wall. But also, what recourse would he have? Because Connor's shoving. It's true. Like, and I'm not saying that this is good, but I'm saying it's a very frustrating way for them to present Connor. Where outside of their little heart to heart. After this, like he and Angel have almost no verbal communication. I guess that's what I, that's really ultimately my complaint is that I, and I think that they, they are doing this intentionally, but once again, it's just like, it's so hard to like either of these characters when they're both being presented in the least likable way possible. And what was it that you just said? Because I want to, mm. yeah. They had oh, no oh, right. verbal because communication? Because I think to you and I specifically, it would feel different if this hadn't, I think kind of clearly I don't think that this is the show's intention, but for you and I, I think we have repeatedly noticed how bad Angel is at communicating. I mean, him being bad at communication is kind of the point of the show, but I just mean to say that it's like the whole reason he had this fight with Wesley is because they couldn't sit down in a room and have an effing conversation together. So to watch him immediately get into that same dynamic with Connor is really, really frustrating to me. So I think, yes, circumstantially, he doesn't have a lot of other options, but because I've seen him do this over and over and over again, and because he's always so righteous about it, it's kind of hard for me to really think that this isn't, something to do with Angel. You know what I mean? Where it's like, yes, and if every situation you can dissect it and come up with some sort of defense to why Angel behaved this way, but when he's behaving that way literally all the time in every situation, it maybe seems like the common denominator is him and not circumstance. 
Yeah, and I, I agree. It's really frustrating. And I, you know, there are glimmers where it seems like Angel's getting through in spite of himself, where yes. he's obviously exhibiting behavior that is kind of counter to what Connor seems to believe to right. like he should expect. But there is no point where he's like, Oh, thank God you're okay. Exactly. Or, like, yeah. Like, also, his attempt to communicate with Connor, he says, I I tried to look for you, but I couldn't find a way. And he kind of implies that he had given up. But actually, I don't know why, because two episodes ago, he hadn't given up. And right, here we are. Right, yeah. So this whole rip in the fabric seemingly was created because Angel or... Maybe not this rip, but part of the problem mm-hmm. was created because Angel was trying to find Connor, and like that was like two episodes ago. So it's right. like I don't remember him actually giving up at any right, point. Like right. he's been gone for like three weeks. So yeah, it's, it's true kind of a weird thing for like, him to say to Connor. And also, why would you tell your son? Right? Just why would you say that, that to him? Gave up looking for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Angel is beyond bad at social interaction at this point, right? Like it's just. He's useless. He can't say any, he can't have any meaningful conversation with anybody except for sometimes Cordelia. And that has so much more to do with her than it does to him. It's just, it's infuriating to watch him still three years into this be almost no better than he was at the beginning. Yeah. Especially with his son who he does care. I know that he cares about him, but it's so hard for me to really feel it. I don't feel it at all. No. And I, I wonder, I was thinking maybe part of it and part of why this episode is so frustrating is that we don't get a chance to feel it because we're immediately off in Connor's journey in LA, which honestly, why did we need this? Like, I guess the point is like he's encountering this world, but it's just so much less interesting than having him interact with Angel or even some of Angel's like friends, right? Like, I mean, why have Connor off on his own? This tells us nothing. I mean, it it doesn't even tell us anything about him other than he's a fighter, but we already knew that. You know, and if anything, it really put a weird taste in my mouth because like right out the gate, it is unclear to me how old he is supposed to be, at least at this point. You know, nobody has exactly said he seems like he could be anywhere between 15 and 20. I don't know. Like, I don't I really don't know how old he is. But if he's been living in the demon this whole, in the demon dimension this whole time, it's un- I, I don't really see how he's had much interaction with women. He seems to be pretty gung ho about this other woman right away. And something about that is like, I don't really doubt it, but it really is like it's just painting Connor in such a strange light, which I guess is the point. But I just not sure what to really make of that as a viewer, you know, like. I get it. He's not innocent, but like, okay. Also, I don't know. Is that, to... is that the right choice? Yeah. No, I agree with that. I think it's strange. I think it's sort of played as like he hasn't had interaction and like she kisses him and he's a little bit like, what? You know? Oh, I felt like he but, was a little too familiar with how to kiss, but I think that was a, I mean that as a, as a critique of the direction of this episode, not O'Connor. Yeah. I was like, mm, all right, well, you could have played that a little more awkwardly. Yeah. But he obviously isn't like aware of like social norms and you know yeah. all of that but but i think the, the the interesting thing for me is like i'm not sure what we're trying to get out of this where you know connor ends up in this seedy underworld right um, right of la which yes okay la has like a pretty big homeless population and that might be where a kid on the streets ends up but i don't know that like we needed all of that like i just like introducing new characters and having Right, his new right. friend like immediately OD like I just I it's just confusing are they I, I think, guess a, the angel kind of makes a comment where he's like right. seems like you traded one hell for another exactly and like, that's what I was maybe he's say. trying to, it, maybe it's like angel's disappointment that like this is what Connor is experiencing him experiencing while he's there but then also like he just lets him go which 
Okay, granted, well, you probably I think can't letting him go is the right him. move. Yeah, no, I <laughs> yeah. think so. Like, you can't physically restrain him, but, like, I, I guess I just don't understand what we were supposed to get out of this. Other I than agree a reminder with that. of, like, L.A. can be a really shitty place. But, like, <laughs> yes, and uh, Connor has had a very difficult life, and it's not yeah. stopping now. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I agree, though. I just, I, It just seems like it maybe would have been fruitful to kind of go any other direction, but I... Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird way to introduce a new character is to have him interact with almost nobody that we know because then you can't, you know, there's no reference point for us. We don't know who Sonny, I mean, I get it. You know, those paint, people are painted in pretty broad strokes, Sonny and Tyke and all these other, you know, people that they kind of have this fight with, but it is just strange. It's strange because normally when you introduce a new character, you put them around the characters that we're familiar with because it is a very helpful gauge of like, we know how, we know who Fred is. So without a lot of explanation from, Connor, you can get a lot out of him, you know, so I guess I just mean it is a weird choice from the writer's perspective of like, here's a new character, he's gonna have his completely own adventure. <laughs> That's exactly what you just said, I'm just really agreeing with you. I just, it's just... No, and like, this don't episode you think wasn't... that it doesn't work in the context of the ending either, because... No, it doesn't. So because Connor then... runs away from the hotel, and he gets swept up in all of this, but... What I understood from the end is that this whole time he's been on his way to try to meet up with Holtz. But if that's oh, truly what's happening, right, yeah. why does he let himself get swept up in all of this? And if that's not what was happening, because what I understood was that Holtz was the thing that came through the portal and knocked them out. Like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that yeah, had yeah. to have been the thing. But if, if that's the case, then where was Connor going as soon as he got there? Because Holtz isn't there yet. So, right. And then once he is there, neither of them has like a cell phone. How did they right, communicate right. with each other? How did he know where he is? Like, I, I just feel like a lot of these pieces don't fit together very well. And this whole journey that Connor has is just kind of arbitrary. And like, it doesn't even serve to fit everything together. And he doesn't um, seem to take that much out. I mean, he, I, okay, sorry. To be clear, he gets a little bit out of this interaction with Angel. Angel does sacrifice, not sacrifice himself, but he dodges, he takes a bullet for Connor, which is not unnoticed by Connor. But outside right. of that, it doesn't seem like this interaction with um, Sonny or Tyke have had that much of an impact on him. So yes, to further the point, like it's all been an elaborate setup to get Angel to do something noble for him so that he starts questioning this idea that he has of Angel, I guess. But it just, again, kind of seems like there are a lot of ways to do that. It's weird to build out this whole other storyline that is presumably not really going to be there anymore. Yeah, and Angel kind of already did that at the very beginning, right? Right, like Connor by, shot by him not attacking him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, weird. I'm obviously not happy to see Holtz back. I don't know what I think about Connor at all, except he's extremely unlikable and a little creepy. You know, like, oh. Also, Vincent Carlyser is a little creepy always. Like, I don't think this is only because I've seen Mad Men and Pete is an undeniable creep and jerk, but, like... I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think that's what they're going for is like something that's a little more ambiguous than like, oh, it's his sweet, innocent child that's been lost. But like, I'll, I, I'm just not sure where they're going with the Connor at all right now. I and mean, maybe that's what I'm supposed to be thinking. I mean, I feel like the way they brought Connor back, I, okay, he was taken as like an infant to a hell dimension by a really terrible person yeah so i would imagine that he would not grow up to be the most stellar of men but you're right that connor already right off the bat seems not like a great character and <laughs> i think continues to not be a great character exactly. and i think the show ultimately tries to play it as like you know he had a trauma and like he's not responsible for like the way he came out because he wasn't raised to like come out in any right. way but 
I just I know where we're it, going. It's and just gonna be hard just, because we're gonna it, only. Yeah, it's it gonna only be hard. Gets be, worse, mm-hmm. and because we're really. They, maybe they gave us this interaction to try and illustrate what his life has been like because I know that it's been hard, but ultimately because we're never going to see what his life was like in the demon dimension, it's going to be really hard to explain who he is. You know what I mean? Like, ultimately, they're not giving us a very good explanation of who he is, and maybe we'll get into that. I will definitely be on the lookout for it, but it's very strange. Um, I don't really think that we do. Like, and, I guess that's and what I'm saying. Is, is, like, is, is like, quote, unquote, ever has Holtz's word for these things, and it feels like Holtz's word does not get backed up by any of the actions and will continue to not be backed up by that. Right. So like I, how he can't question it. I don't know. Yeah. You know, actually also the thing that's tough for me is that <laughs> I understand our angel feeling heartbroken, but they don't really play it like that much of this. They don't, angel doesn't really seem so much heartbroken in this episode as just like completely confused that Connor doesn't know who he is. I'm like, angel Connor was at a, a freaking infant when he left. He's clearly at least 16 years old. He has never seen you. There's no possible way he could have a memory of you. So like that you're hurt that he doesn't remember who you are is totally valid, but that you're confused that he doesn't remember who you are is just out of this world. What, what are you doing? He just repeatedly is like, no, I'm your father. You know, your father. Like, no, he doesn't know. How could he possibly know that? Yeah, and Connor's like, that's not even my name. Like, yeah, that's not his name. <laughs> Ugh. Well, I, you know, we'll see. I have to say, I also took a lot of issue. I normally love Lila, and I normally love Wesley, and while Wesley didn't do anything wrong in this episode, I, her case was not convincing. She's basically trying to tell him, like, you're just as bad as me because you betrayed Angel, and that's what Judas did. <laughs> like, I feel like the Judas situation is really different from Wesley's situation, and I don't think that he's going to buy that at all, right? I don't remember Wesley getting, like, a bag of gold exactly. or, like, like, silver or whatever. I'm sorry. Wesley didn't get a bag of silver to betray the son of God. <laughs> he tried to save his best friend's son from himself. Like, I don't, it's not the same thing. It's fine if he has some doubt. Obviously, he's grappling with a lot right now. Maybe he's just really vulnerable, but it just was not a good argument. Lila's normally so much smarter than that. Yeah, I thought it was really strange. And also, like, a really elaborate way to, like, make her argument, where she's right. like, here's a, here's a book for you. Have you read Dante? Like, what? Of course he's read Dante. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I know that will go elsewhere, and I'll... Yeah, I... All right, I don't remember where that goes. Wesley interaction is just like whatever. Um, I do think it's compelling that she's, I, I guess what I mean to say, I think it's logical that she's trying to hire him now because he feels so slighted. So I don't think that that whole, it, that whole kind of situation isn't far-fetched to me. I just think it was a weird way to make the point. You know, I think it yeah, makes no. total sense that she's there. No, no. I mean, yeah, but I mean yeah. like it, she's there to say like a stupid thing. So yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you have a good point already. It's just, you don't have anyone else and you're smart and talented and we could pay you a lot of money. Like seems like a good enough sales pitch to me, but whatever. Yeah. Also weird that Lila is there for that. Cause I, I guess the big thing that came for me out of this episode is like the, you know, at the end of the episode, they have this woman like fix the portal. Yeah. Um, and she tells them it's not a portal. It's right. like a rip in the fabric of the universe or whatever. Um, and as Connor tells Angel, he found a way out. And right. I think the implication is like that was his way out. But yeah, they say something I mean, about him punching his way out or something kind of like that. Yeah. But like, are we not at all concerned about exactly how Connor found this way out? And like, seems like maybe he did yeah. something he shouldn't have. Like, I just feel like that's the kind of thing that Wolfram and Hart would be focused on. Yeah, it's not true. like, hey, let's try to go hire Angel's old boss. Yeah. 
seems small potatoes when there's like big mystical things happening. It's true. And also speaking of ways to introduce new characters where you don't need them, it's all feels very contrived to like continue to keep Wesley apart from the group where this feels like, okay, Connor's back, Connor's alive. Um, Maybe Wesley can be like, maybe you can utter his name now. Like, right. It's true. And also I know, I mean, my beef with, with the Wesley situation is like, so (laughs) old hat, but that also Angel has supposedly been so desperate to get Connor back that, and he couldn't find anything, and so he gave up. But he has not yet consulted, again, the only person who could probably help them decipher things. Like, if, yeah. like I don't believe that Angel is... He can't be... He can't be both. He can't be that mad at Wesley or that desperate to find his son. I really think one or the other would win out. And I guess what I'm saying is the one that won out is that he's that mad at Wesley, which is completely ridiculous to me. Like, get over yourself, Angel. If you really cared about your son, you would have gone back to Wesley and said, like, look, I hate you and we are not friends, but you can help me and we're going to figure something out. Like, why would he not have done that by now? A hundred percent agree with you. Like, it is a little frustrating for him to stand there and say with his face I did face everything that he I've done. Tried everything that he could except the one thing. Except consult my former best friend. Do, and he kept saying no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. So I guess uh, what I'm saying is Connor has every right to be mad. Connor, you're a creep, and I don't like you, but you're not wrong. <laughs> it's true. Though I mean, yeah, he's not wrong. Also, to notice that Angel's no, you know, no belief took a bullet for him or whatever. But ugh. yeah. Um, All right. So the other thing in this episode that is clearly being telegraphed is that uh, Gruselag is increasingly frustrated with Cordelia's single-mindedness when it comes to Angel. And Mm -hmm. Cordelia seems to be completely oblivious to the real reasons for all of this. It's true. Um, Poor Gru. Yeah. I really like him. (laughs) I see... I feel like Pylea was a goldmine of characters, and Lauren has been successful, Fred has it's been true. successful. There's no reason that Gruselag wouldn't have been successful as I a full time improvement. Like, <laughs> it's I true. Just, yeah, this is just the Pylea Chronicles. <laughs> really frustrating <laughs> that they just had to get him out of the way because he's a romantic rival for Angel, but like, Angel is not earning that right annoying? now. Like, what's yeah. another, right? Yeah, it's true. I guess it's just like, so, you know, a handful, half a season ago, Angel and Cordelia were really getting close and it made so much sense to me, but Angel is so in such a terrible place right now that it's like, I just can't imagine Cordelia being attracted to that. I I do understand her being really sympathetic, maybe getting sucked in more than she should, but it just doesn't seem, it's just not attractive. No. He's being so, ugh. And the Grusalag is amazing. He can stand for like 11 minutes straight. (laughs) (laughs) Or it was like 11 days. It was like something. Yeah. yeah I thought it was longer um, than minutes, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But they're also trying to use this to imply that he and Cordelia aren't ultimately compatible. Right. But they also haven't done anything by example that is remotely different from Angel. So why am I supposed to think that she's not compatible with him, but she's compatible with the exact same person mm-hmm. in another body? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to say one thing nice about okay. this. <laughs> And I thought it was cute that at the end of the episode, Connor has a leather jacket just like his dad. Oh, I didn't <laughs> notice that, but that is cute. All right. Uh, yeah. And then other than that, I'm just going to say, I don't know who directed this episode, but they really wanted to oh make my it God. visually The, like, green screens and the CGI. Oh, my God. This was another, like, okay, guys, just because the Matrix came out doesn't mean every fight scene has to try and look like that. 
Right? I mean, there was a lot of slow motion. Like, weird visual flourishes. That haven't been there. The POV view of, like, those stakes flying at Angel. It was so out of character. It was weird. But yeah, the CGI of Connor jumping on the bus was special. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Connor is human, and they have repeatedly made that point. Mm -hmm. Why does he seem to have special powers? Superhuman. It does feel like he's extra, extra strong. I guess he's just that good. Um, do I have anything nice to say about this episode? Oh, I think my always nice thing to say about this episode is that Lauren is a treasure. You already said it generally, but specifically, he's great. I don't know. I like him. Under He's so underused, it's not fair. <laughs> I love Lauren. Yeah, they uh, have not done right by that character. Mm-mm. He's so interesting and so cool and so nice. Well, we should wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah, okay. we should. I don't really have anything more to say. No, nor do I. Other than Lasai. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, I look forward to seeing what else Pete Campbell does <laughs> in L.A. <laughs> he's only, yeah, he's right. His name is not Connor. Your name is Pete. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been pretty good. I am excited to see the conclusion of season six because I, yes, I already have some thoughts about it and... I'm just excited to see it. You're right. I was mad about where I'm mad about kind of the specifics and how we got here. But now that we're here, I'm really enjoying it. Um, so next but again, week, yeah. all of this could still happen. You just lift the one part out and it's remove true. it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Nothing's different. Um, anyway, so next week we have two to go for Buffy and Benediction for Angel. I have no idea what happens in that one as per usual. Um, yeah. But um, do you have any pop culture recommendations this week? Um, I do. Okay. I'm going to try to make it fast because yeah, I know cause it's we're running, long. <laughs> running a little bit late. Um, so I finally saw Late Night. Um, oh, okay. I have, yeah. I didn't yeah. see much promo for it. Uh, yeah. Like it kind of snuck like in there for me. I follow Mindy Kaling on Twitter, and mm, so I've mm-hmm. been very aware <laughs> that this movie is out. Um, but yeah, I haven't really seen a ton of um, promotional stuff, but I did see it on the 4th of July, actually. Not that that's not really relevant, but... <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It felt like a return to like fun romantic comedies, but also with this kind of acidic bite of like a workplace like commentary of like, you know, diversity and like what that means and what that doesn't mean and like Mm -hmm. who deserves to work and like all this and also like women's place in the spotlight and the double standards that women face and all of that. And I thought it always wrapped up really, really well in this like really entertaining script. Um, the actors are all fantastic. Emma Thompson is yeah, a I treasure. Mean, always amazing. <laughs> but like, I mean, um, Mindy Kaling like wrote this role for her and I mean, she nailed it. It was great. I really liked it. And I think everybody should go see it. Okay. Um, I have a quick one. Actually, I'll just get two out at once, even though they're well, they're very similar. <laughs> um, I watched two episodes of Los Spookies on HBO um, while I was visiting my brother. And then we also watched the first couple episodes of What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show. Um, that was a movie that came out like, I don't know, four or five years ago. Three, I don't know. I, time means nothing to me. A movie came out. It's Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement, Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords made this like ridiculously goofy, hilarious movie about... It's like a reality documentary about vampires living in the modern world. I loved it. Uh, The TV show is like totally the same tone. Uh, If anything, it's like a little bit redundant to the movie, but I haven't seen it in a while. So like it was just really fun. Uh, I haven't seen all of it yet, but I'm really enjoying what I've seen so far. It's just 
you know, vampires being silly. <laughs> uh, it is pretty gory, and though. Did they reprise their roles? No, they're actually not in it so far. Okay. Um, but the guy who plays the second boss from IT Crowd is in it. He's one of the vampires. Oh. It's actually, I think, a much better role for him because, I don't know. <laughs> I did it, not really enjoy Yeah, he's not my IT favorite Crowd. in IT Crowd, but it, it fits so much better for this, like, old... You know, like, all of the vampires are, like, at least a couple hundred years old, if not much older than that. So, like, that this, like, weird out-of-touch nature, make, it works a lot better for him in this show. Um, sorry. And then, quickly, Los Spookies. I still haven't totally figured out what's exactly going on in the world, but it's, like, this... <laughs> Lauren Michaels produced um, almost all, ex- all in Spanish story about these like group of friends at slash relative. Uh, actually, I think they're all friends that um, have a knack for like making spooky special effects. And so like it starts out with this guy has like done his his cousin wanted a really creepy quinceanera. And so he like did all these crazy effects for it. But then he gets hired by a priest who's like annoyed that he's getting shown up by the new priest. And so he wants to make it look like he's performing an exorcism. So he like hires these group of like 20 year olds to like stage an exorcism for him. It was surprisingly funny. Uh, again, also pretty gory, but not actually scary at all. But I just I really liked it. Some like spooky and scary together. I'm sorry, spooky and funny and goofy is like my favorite. It's like both of these shows are right up my alley. Not that different from one another, honestly. I mean, different like plot and setting, but like similar, very similar tone. Um, But I'm really enjoying it so far. Also saying Los Spookies is my favorite thing in the world. So I'm just going to keep saying it. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so those are my pitches. I mean, if you like those things, if that doesn't sound like it's up your alley, you are not going to enjoy it. I don't think it's going to change anyone's minds. But like, if you like horror things, but are also like a 30 Rock fan, like watch Lissa Spooky. This is totally up that alley. Okay, well, those both sound interesting. (laughs) (laughs) You would probably like the vampire one more if you were going to like either of them. I think you would like the vampire one. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so uh, do you have any teams this (laughs) Whose team are you on? I do. I'm Team Willow. Yeah, I'm Team Willow too. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Probably sorry not next that week. that says something bad about me, but <laughs> I 100% agree with you. I felt real catharsis. Yeah, I did too. And I think we're going to have to give that up next week, so like, may as well enjoy it while it lasts. We can feel bad. We can feel guilty next week. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as will Willow, maybe. <laughs> Ugh. All right. Um, okay. Well, I will talk to you next time for um two the to next go. two episodes that I two to go and benediction. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you. All right, I'll All talk right. to you later. Bye. Bye. Once more with commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.